Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. The seven spirits in Revelation three one here speak, or in, in Revelation three uh, verse one, you can read that, but it, it's something that Jesus possesses. The seven spirits he holds. He says these things. Says he who has the seven spirits of God. Jesus possesses that. In Revelation four verse five, it also says the seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Hi everyone and welcome to our Bible study on Truth in Christ Radio. The book of Revelation speaks about the seven spirits of God. The idea of the seven spirits is quoted from the Old Testament book of Isaiah chapter 11 verse 2, which describes seven aspects of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. It isn't that there are seven different spirits of God. Rather, the spirit of the Lord has these characteristics, and he has them all in fullness and perfection. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's study. The number seven. There are seven colors in the rainbow. Roy G. Biv, right? Red, orange, yellow, Green, indigo, blue, violet, whatever that is, right? Indigo, violet. Seven. There's seven. The rainbow belongs to God. Can I get an amen? amen. Can I get a witness? The rainbow belongs to him as a promise, right? We know that's what the rainbow's all about. Redeem the rainbow. <laughs> Not only that, but there's seven notes that make up the major scale. Do, re, mi, fa, sol, la, ti, do. Everyone together. A do, a deer, a female deer. Re. <laughs> seven notes. They make up something complete. Seven notes in the scale. Seven days in a week. So many things. So many sevens. There were seven priests who were carrying seven trumpets in Jericho. They marched around on the seventh day. Seven times. There are seven churches, seven angels, seven trumpets, seven seal judgments, trumpet judgments, bull judgments, golden lampstands, spirits, lamps of fire, eyes, thunders, people, heads, plagues, kings. You're going to see all these things, and they all speak of completion, completion and perfection. And notice what John says to these churches. He says, grace and peace to you. I would say that the first century church needed much of that, and I think we do too. We need grace and peace. Grace, that unmerited favor which we could not earn. 
We could not earn it. And certainly in the first century, they were being persecuted. I remember when I was 20 years old, 1990, went to Europe with a travel study group. And we were over in Europe for a month. It was a humanities course at college where you see all of Europe in a month kind of deal. And I remember going down into the St. Priscilla catacombs underneath Rome and seeing where the Christians were being persecuted, where they, where they hid and where they buried their dead in the walls. I remember vividly as an unbeliever walking through those catacombs with the lighting very dim and very musty smelling and walking through and seeing the images that they, they wrote on the walls of Jesus and Mary and the three uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You see all that on the walls. They've preserved those things. They were all there. They were being persecuted under Nero and Domitian, running for their lives in fear of the Romans and fear of the Jews who hated them. They needed grace, so do we. And what about peace? Do you have peace with God? Do you have peace with God? When you lay down at night, is there peace in your heart or is there fear and intrepidation? If we have the peace of God, or if we have the peace with God, we can have the peace of God. Does that make sense? If you have peace with him, if you've made peace with him, if you're one of his and you've made peace, Jesus made peace by the cross. If you're under the cross, if you're a member of the church, you can have the peace of God because you have the peace with God. The battle is no longer a battle. You've surrendered your life. Your life is dead in Christ. And the Bible says that uh, we've been raised in newness of life as he was resurrected. And so too at the rapture of the church when our mortal bodies will put off mortality and put on immortality. And he says to this, notice, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. And notice the order there. I love the order here. Who is? He is. Jesus is present with us now. Aren't you glad that that was the first thing he said? He didn't didn't say, I'm the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. The order is important. I am the one who is present. Are you present? You are. Behold, you're sitting here. And guess what? He's present with us. Isn't that one of his names? Emmanuel, God with us. Notice, that's the first thing he says. I am who is and who was. I am who was. See, God understands our past, our guilt, our sin, and he can forgive it if we confess it. And he's also the one who is to come. He is coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. He has gone ahead of us and he's preparing a place for us. We read it in John 14 earlier. He's going to prepare a place for you and I. Does that sound like a good deal? Does that that excite your heart? I pray that it does. Because I don't want to be in here any longer. You know, I've seen a lot of good things. I've experienced a lot of wonderful things. I'm only 50 years old, and I've experienced a lot. I've seen a lot. But there is nothing that holds a candle to being with Christ. There is nothing... Everything pales compared to what we have ahead of us. Let your heart be raptured with that thought. Let your heart be taken away. And let your worship begin there. Let it begin there. Lord, I want you more than ever. Come and just take me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to desire that. He is the one who is and who was and is to come
In Revelation, the same chapter in verse 18, I love it again, he uses the same kind of thing. He says, I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. The pattern is there again. I'm the one who lives with you now. I wasn't one who died and then you're on your own until I return. That would be a pretty horrible thing. But no, he says first, I am the one who lives. I'm the one who is. Yes, I'm the one who died. But I am the one who is. I'm the one who is alive and I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. If you see in this, uh, these verses, verses 4 and 5, for those of you who want to see the Trinity, here it is in verses 4 and 5. He says, To him who was and who, 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 who is and who was and who is to come, and the seven spirits and who are before the throne, and from Jesus Christ. Do you see three personages there? Him who was and who, who is and who was and who is to come, that's God the Father. It can be God the Son, but in this context, it's God the Father. And from the seven spirits, it's speaking of the Holy Spirit. And finally, verse 5, and from Jesus Christ. Underline those words, because there's your Trinity right there. God three in one. God in three persons. Blessed Trinity. Amen? We see the Trinity present. We see it in the creation. Elohim. We see the Trinity present during Jesus' baptism. Remember, as Jesus in the Jordan, the Spirit descended like a dove, and God the Father spoke, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. The Trinity. There it is. And the seven spirits. The seven spirits in Revelation 3, 1 here, or in in Revelation 3, uh, verse 1, you can read that, but it's something that Jesus possesses. The seven spirits. He holds, he says, these things, says he who has the seven spirits of God. Jesus possesses that. In Revelation 4, verse 5, it also says, the seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. In Revelation 5, verse 6, it says, these are the, um, the, 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 the lamb having seven eyes, or seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. It seems like it's talking about his power in his omniscience, and his omnipresence, which the Spirit of God is. Amen? The seven spirits of God. Notice in verse 5, And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, there's been no one as faithful as Jesus. One of his names is faithful and true. Has there been anybody more faithful to you than Jesus? He may not have given you everything you want when you wanted it, but I can tell you this, he's always given me what I needed, and he gave me much more than I could possibly ever imagine. He's given me what, I, what, what he knows I needed. What I think I needed is immaterial. But he gave me what he knew that I needed. But he is the faithful witness. The, wit, the word witness there is martis. That's where we get our word martyr. And he was faithful in that. Uh, this martis, this is somebody who gives their life for something that they totally believe in. They'll undergo a violent death in order to achieve it. And Jesus was and is that greatest example. He was fully God and fully man, and he paid the price for you and I. We know this. This is the gospel. And he's our high priest. He is our high priest. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, 
but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Hebrews 4. He's also our high priest. And he died the most horrible death on the cross. The most horrible death. While Jesus hung on the cross, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? Was it any surprise to Jesus? No, it wasn't. But let me suggest to you something. You know, the Bible talks about his sufferings, his physical sufferings, and they are significant. But there folks, there have been there have been thousands of people who have been crucified in history. Horrible way to go. There's no doubt about it. One of the worst forms of punishment, of torture, is the cross. The Romans mastered it. They were excellent at it. But Isaiah said that he was rejected. He was forsaken. That's literally what it means. And when Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? He was hearkening back, really, to Romans 5, or, excuse me, Isaiah 53. I've been rejected by men, a man of sorrows. He was despised, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, and afflicted of God. And by his stripes we are healed. And let me tell you something. It wasn't just the physical stripes. As horrible as the physical beating was, the thing that really did the job was what nobody could see. The Bible says in Isaiah, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. The offering for sin is something that the world could not see with their eyes as he hung on the cross. The beatings were horrible. And certainly in that, our redemption was paid. But the thing that nobody could see was even greater because he made his soul an atonement for every single human being that could ever live on the cross. He paid the price. That's something that Mel Gibson's film could never portray. Is, is what happened behind the scenes that nobody could see. Can you imagine the hordes of hell dancing around? The devil himself, probably as Jesus was about to ready to take his last breath, and the devil going right up to his face, and nobody could see it. I mean, this is just conjecture, but I know he was reveling in it. He was reveling in it. He was having a riotous party. Finally, even if you come back, I at least got this satisfaction. Can you imagine looking at him right in the eye, Jesus, and saying, I got you. And Jesus said, we'll see about that. Hmm. But Jesus is the firstborn from the dead. That's another phrase. In Colossians 1, Paul tells us this. He says, and he, Jesus, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He's the firstborn of the dead. There have been many people who have died, and even in the Bible there have been some who have died and been resurrected. But let me ask you something. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, was he raised in his natural body, or was he raised in an incorruptible body? He was raised in his natural body. He died again later on. There's only one who was raised from the grave and received his resurrection body, a body that's unlike any other body on this earth that's ever been raised, It's a body that could appear, evidently, and disappear. A body that could pass through physical barriers, walls. We see that in the upper room on the day after, or the day of. And he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. He is. Psalm 2, you know this. God speaking, I believe this is a trialogue between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But in verse 6 of Psalm 2, God the Father says, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. And if you're going to Israel with us, you're going to stand on Zion. You're going to be there. We're going to be there in about a week. You're going to see it. 
You're going to see it. Yet I have set my king, God the Father says, on my holy hill. And the son speaks in verse 7. I will declare the, the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. He's the king of the nations. He's the king over all things. As the verse tells us, he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Christmas cards that we get in Isaiah. You guys know this. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And what? And the government will be upon his shoulder. His strength will be carrying. He will be the strong one. And of the increase of his government, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. And what is he going to do? He's going to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forevermore. Love that. Do you love that? Are you looking forward to that day? (laughs) So many things I could say. Jesus, don't you love him? Don't you love him? And when he returns, when we see the summation, the consummation of all things, we'll be coming back with him in the second coming. And what is is he going to have on his robe and on his thigh? There's going to be a name written. And what is it? What is it? On his robe and on his thigh, it's going to be written, King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Satan right now is called the ruler of this world, but he only has it for a short time. It's on lease. But his lease is soon running out, and he doesn't have money to pay. And Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on this earth. And that's what makes this book so exciting. Because as we get toward the end, there ought to be a fevered pitch in the church. As we get closer and closer to that Revelation 19, verse 11, there's going to be this wonderful crescendo, and we're just going to feel like having a party at the end of it. And notice this. It's almost like John was so overwhelmed by these titles. Jesus, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. And then he has to stop in this wonderful wonderful doxology and say, To him... To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Have you been washed in the blood of Christ? Have you been made white as snow by the blood of Christ? It's a paradox, isn't it? But the blood of Christ is the only cleanser. The only thing that God accepts. There's no other way you can clean yourself up. If you're here today and you've, your life has been flush with good works, maybe you've done a lot of really good things, maybe you've been an attendant, to every church service, and you've never missed one. But if your heart is not single toward Christ, if you're not born again, he will say, I never knew you. It's more than just church attendance. It's more than just reading the Bible. Does he own you? Do you have a relationship with him? Because he loves you. He wants to have that relationship. He loves you, he loves you, he loves you. And he's also... Finally, we get to the, the verse that I wanted to get to all morning. Verse 7. It says, Behold, he is coming with clouds. I want you to underline that. He is coming with clouds. And I want you to underline what's after it, because that's very important. And every eye, every eye, circle that word, underline it, put an asterisk by it. Every eye will see him, even they who pierced him. 
and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. And this is really the topic of our study to this morning, our message. Behold, he is coming with clouds. You know, the coming of Christ can be summed up in two different phases. When we think of the coming of Christ, most people think of either the rapture or they think of the physical second coming. Did you know that there is a difference? And there are two phases to the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord is like an umbrella, and underneath that you have what happens first, and that is the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church is is an event where the believers are taken up to meet him in the clouds. Jesus doesn't come to the earth. We meet him in the clouds. You can read about this, and you know this in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18. You can also read it in 1 Corinthians 15. Because it's something that happens like this. In a twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ are raised. Then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together, will be transformed, given a new body, the body like Jesus had on his resurrection morning. So there is the rapture, but there's also another event, the second coming of Christ. In fact, when we get to chapter 4, we will speak more concerning the rapture, but this verse is specifically speaking of the second coming of Christ. And this statement that he's making here is perhaps the greatest in all of the Bible, and certainly in the book, because it's a consummation of not only the Bible, but this book, the return of Christ to set up his kingdom for a thousand years. And his coming is mentioned, again, it's kind of interesting, seven times. The second coming physically to the earth is mentioned here. And in the other areas in the scripture and revelation, it speaks really of the rapture, we believe. But there is a difference between the rapture and the second coming. And this morning, we're not going to look at all of those different differences because there's over, well over 15 different differences between the rapture and the second coming. I hope you know this because if you don't, it's going to mess up your eschatology. It's going to mess up your understanding of last things, especially as you read the Bible. We'll spend more time on this later, but let me just whet your appetite briefly because the rapture is invisible to the world. It happens in a twinkling of an eye. In 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about that. It happens just like that. Nobody sees it. The world certainly doesn't see it. But yet this verse that we're looking at, verse 7, says every eye will see it. So it can't be the rapture. And the rapture is going to be imminent. There's going to be no warning. It's going to happen at any moment. I pray that it happens before. Wouldn't that be great? the Lord would just interrupt my sentence and take us. It's imminent. It's imminent. And also, it's one, it's an event where the church meets the Lord in the air. We meet him in the air. He doesn't come down. And so we meet him in the air. But the second coming is completely different. The second coming, everyone in the world, when he comes at the end of the tribulation period, every eye will see him, and they will be, for those who are saved, that are on the earth, that get saved during the tribulation, they're going to rejoice. There are going to be others, unfortunately. Even still in their rebellion, they're going to shake their fist at him. And believe me, he made all things. He can appear from all angles on all the world all at once. They can see him coming. They're going to see him coming with power on the clouds. Everyone will see it, and the general time frame will be known when he comes. They don't know the day or the hour, even in the tribulation period, but thank God, hopefully there will be Bibles around in those times. I'm sure there will be. And they'll be able to look and see what's coming next. Can you imagine that? 
You're an unbeliever, and some uh, a believer comes to you and says, Hey, I just got saved a couple days ago, but I found this Bible, and look what's happening next. But then look what happens. I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Revelation. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester Sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcasts. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.